I was so excited about coming here. So excited. I don't know why. (laughs) But I always knew there was something special about Jubilee at Solihull. And I also think there's something in spe- special about the place that you're not. You're not Birmingham, are you? <laughs> but, you know, some of my relatives or my children's great-great-grandfather started Birmingham University. I don't know if you've heard of him, a guy called Joe Chamberlain. So there's slight connections. Considering I'm a total Londoner from the Middle East, who's lived mainly in Israel and Iraq, I like this place as well. And now I've got my new best friend all on the line there. It's great to be with you all. And it's great to know that God is doing great things amongst you. And I really sense that. And when I came in this morning and witnessed your worship and saw how much you love Jesus, I thought, this place is going somewhere. And I want to come with you, if you will let me. Today, I'm going to start speaking about a very, very important lady called Hadassah. What's that in English? Who said that? Who? You get the prize then. I'm a great believer in giving prizes out. Right? So you get the first prize. It's Esther. And Esther was in Persia. Would you like a special pen? (laughs) So I want to speak this morning... My title is Radical Divine Reversal. Often in life, we need time when we're going to reverse, when things are going to be turned around. And I believe that you need some radical divine reversal for this church. The old has passed, the new has come, and God is about to do great special things. Is anybody called Esther in your church? Right, you get a pen as well then. <laughs> Two Esthers. Yeah. 
I'm afraid they're both blue. So, Esther and Hadassah. I love the name Hadassah because probably the best, the second best hospital in the world is the Hebrew University Hospital in Jerusalem called Hadassah. The first best hospital is St. Thomas's in London because I trained there. That's the only reason. But I did leave there and go and spend time working at Hadassah. So, I want to read to you from the book of Esther. Chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, and then verse 8. If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and I'm pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, which he wrote to destroy, destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's province. Esther 8, 5 and 6. 8, 8. Seal the new letter with the king's ring, for the writing is written in the king's name and sealed in the king's ring. No man may reverse. Now, if you're going to speak on divine reversal, reverse only really appears in the Bible with regards Esther. And we all know when we need a reversal. Often it's about something difficult we've experienced when we need it to come in line with God, what God wants. And it is reversed. You may have had times in your history where the things of the past need to be reversed because God's plan for Jubilee is that it may be a true Jubilee place. And God's place for each of you is that you may be reversed where he wants you to be. I can never forget in my own life, when I was in the sixth form at school, I'd always desired two things in life. One, to do medicine, and the other, to become a priest. When I was nine at school, my teacher said, what do you want to do when you become old? I said, I want to be an anaesthetist and I want to be a priest. And she said, you can't. 
it's impossible to do two things. And she said, you have a problem anyway, because you're not a Catholic or an Anglican. You're a Pentecostal. And I said, yeah, it's a bit of a problem, but I still want to be a priest and a doctor. Anyway, I um, started planning when I was at school to go and train, hopefully, at St. Thomas's Hospital in London. And then, to my shock and horror, after my interview, I got a letter saying, thank you very much for coming. We were very impressed with you, but you didn't get a place. So my headmaster was really shocked by this. He said, we really believed you would. So I thought, well, all I have to do is pray. So I prayed, Lord, this door has been closed, but this is what I believe you have called me to. There may be times when you think your door has been closed, that you know that God is calling you to something bigger and better. And so I prayed. And six days later, I got a letter from the hospital saying, Dear Andrew, we're very sorry that we sent you the previous letter because we've made a mistake. You have got a place. And you start on the 13th of September. So that was my first personal divine reversal. Turning around. After I'd done all my medical work, I can remember being stored in the garden of St. Thomas's once, overlooking Big Ben, overlooking Westminster. And at that time, I was running the cardiac arrest team. And I was in between cardiac arrests, and they weren't very well planned. They weren't like operations on the hour, every hour. No, they just happened. So I was there in between cardiac arrests and I was thanking God so much for having been to train at St. Thomas's and now working there and run the crash team. And I said, Lord, I thank you so much for giving me everything I've ever wanted. And then I thought I needed to say, what next, Lord? All of us need to say, what next, Lord? And usually often people say, I'm waiting on the Lord, waiting for him to tell me. Well, I'm a great believer in God answering fairly quickly. So, what next, Lord? I said to him, I'm here loving it. And he said to me, I want you to go into the church. 
the Anglican Church. I said, Lord, <laughs> they're not even all saved. <laughs> and you want me to join them? He said, yes. That's why you need to go. So I then started my plans to look at going to Cambridge to do my theology. And I did my Christian theology quickly because it was really, really boring. So I switched to Judaism. And then I specialized in rabbinics and Jewish history. And I loved it. So I actually went to yeshiva. And I was the first Gentile to train to be a rabbi. I never became a rabbi because I loved Jesus and they didn't. So there I was studying in Israel and I got Coventry Cathedral by then and I was in charge of international reconciliation and I really felt God was telling me that I needed to go to Iraq. And everybody who I asked to get me in said no. This was in 1997, so it was still in the days of Saddam Hussein, and the British had no diplomatic presence there and no relationship. So I tried every way to get in and failed. And then the thing I finally did was to get my staff together and pray, Lord, get me to Iraq. The next day, I had a phone call from Saddam, assistant, Tarek Aziz, saying, come to my office and see me next Thursday at five o'clock. Now, there were no planes to Iraq in those days. So it was a very, very long drive. Anyway, that was the beginning. But years later, in 2003, the Americans and the coalition, including the Brits, were going to go to war against Saddam. Now, it was quite good because I was already there. And the Americans used to um, really look up to me because I was the one who was telling them how to get into Iraq and what to do and what not to do. Anyway, after the war in 2003... I was the only one who knew about Iraq. So they moved into Saddam's Republican Palace. Quite an amazing place. Even the wash taps in the bathroom were solid gold. And he had this amazing swimming pool, which
which was gold-plated around the outside. And it was one Easter day, and I was doing the Easter service. And I said, Lord, what shall I do? Because I was chaplain then at the U.S. Embassy. And God just said to me, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. So we had an open-air service like you do on Easter morning. And I had it by the spoon pool. And it was really amazing because I teach a lot at Wheaton College in Illinois, outside Chicago. And all my old students who are now in the U.S. military were there singing. And we all sang because he lives. And then one of the generals in the coalition called General Kim, he was South Korean, he said, Andrew, I want to be baptized in the swimming pool. Will you baptize me? I said, of course I'll baptize you. Then his brigadier said, if General Kim is being baptized, I want to be baptized as well. And what was his name? Brigadier Kim. <laughs> and then Brigadier Kim's colonel, Colonel Kim, also wanted to be baptized. So I said, it's a bit of a Kim day. So I baptized four Kims in the swimming pool. And that was a divine reversal. That was a place where the evil tyrant had had his fun, was now reversed to being a place of restoration, of glory, of baptism. So that was quite a good reversal. So there was the swimming pool. And then in my palace, I say my palace, it was Saddam's old palace. I formed a chapel and they gave me quite a nice room for the chapel. It was Saddam's throne room. And it had all these scud missiles on one side. And the other side was Jerusalem. And in the roof was a new Jerusalem. So that became my chapel. And I didn't have a pulpit. I just had a throne. <laughs> because Saddam didn't need his throne anymore. So I had it as my seat, and it was gold with very nice cushions. It was by far the most comfortable pulpit I've ever had. So that was a reversal. The sign of power, the seat of power of an evil dictator becomes the seat of the power of the living God. And great things happen there. 
It was really amazing. It was quite strange. Last weekend, I was speaking at a very senior military group for Christians called Military Ministry International. And the boss of the organization is called General Porter. And General Porter was the commanding officer of the troops in Baghdad. He turned up to chapel one day, and I said, look, General Porter, it's very nice having you in my chapel, but you need to remember something. I'm a friend of your mother. And he said, Canon White, it's very good having you. But you need to remember that I grew up with your wife and we went to Sunday school together. So he won. (laughs) So there I was living in Iraq with a throne room, a great chapel, a wonderful person in my congregation and my general he actually became my worship leader a three-star general mega big guy on the guitar leading worship to everybody that's what happens when the Lord is bringing divine reversal Isn't that amazing? So it would be like having the general up here this morning leading worship. But it's very strange because anybody heard of the Lord Dannett? He used to be the chief of the British military. And then he became a lord, and um, he is a very, very senior man. And he is the patron of Military Ministry International. And I was very surprised when one day I got a message from him saying he wanted me to be the other patron of MMI. And so there I am nowadays with our CEO, General Porter, who used to be my worship leader and our command general. So this is how God works. You as a church need to ask, What does God want next for us? How does he want to turn around our situation? You, this little, nice, sophisticated church in Solihull, is called to be not just a West Midlands changer. You are called to be a world changer. You are called to have international significance. 
and talking to the pastor yesterday, I said, I'd love you to come to Jordan to meet with all of our Christian refugees from Iraq because I think you might have a future. So reversal, divine reversal. It's quite funny sometimes, divine reversal, because sometimes you end up doing things which you could never have imagined. Have you got my pen, Esther? I'm very, very um, finickety about my pens. I only use a Pelican fountain pen. And when I was in Iraq, I used this pen as well. And one day, the Prime Minister came up to me, Nour al-Maliki, and he said, Andrew, Andrew, can I borrow your pen? I thought, that's my pen. <laughs> and it's very important. Well, I thought, I'll let him use it for a day. I didn't ask him what for. He took my pen. There he was on television at night signing Saddam's death sentence with my pen. Sometimes divine reversal goes rather far. But this pen, which had signed baptism certificates, wedding certificates, was now signing Saddam's death sentence. It's quite funny because people found out about this and people said, but that was the pen that signed our wedding certificate. <laughs> I said, I know. And that's the glory. So, I get his throne room, I get his throne, he gets my pen, just temporarily. The next thing they did, which was quite strange, you know Saddam's son, Zudain Kwase, they were really quite bad people. They were raucous philanderers. And they lived in a spot in the green zone, which was all Saddam's old palace. And there was one house which was very, very special. And um, they used it as their boudoir. It was their brothel. And when the coalition was sorting out who was going to get what room or what building, what do you think I get? <laughs> I got their brothel as my office. And there, in this very strange, strange place with all these cushions and frilly curtains, they set up my Iraqi Institute of Peace. But once again, it was what was evil 
becoming glorious. Just as what was used for destruction was used as a sign of his glory and his kingdom and his power. That was such an oppressive regime. But their brothel became house of prayer. We formed a house of prayer within the brothel. Don't you think that's quite good divine reversal? Good turning things negative into things positive. I then took over the only Anglican church in Iraq. I didn't want to be an Anglican, but there I was with this Anglican church. And when I took it over, it had been closed down for years by Saddam because the British were bombing them. When I got this church, the only sign of life was one pigeon. Everything else was just derelict, destitute. We took over that church and by the time I was pulled out by the Archbishop of Canterbury in 2000, no, in 2014, we had six and a half thousand people. And now I was made to leave Iraq and I went to Jordan and so many of my people came to Jordan with me. And now we're looking after hundreds and hundreds of former persecuted church Christians. We have a Christian school. We have a clinic, a hospital. And it's so full of the glory of God. And when you talk to our children, all they do is talk about how wonderful God is. And how they are going to serve him forever. And they leave Jordan eventually and go to either the US, Canada or Australia. And so I now have quite a job tracking around the world, seeing my people. But by God's grace we do. And we see miracles. Anyway... After me having Saddam's brothel and us having that church, which was derelict, it then became too dangerous to travel out to the church. It was so dangerous. And I said, I'm going anyway. And all the security and people like General Porter said, no, you can't go. But then, God gave me a really good, spirit-filled head of security for the whole of Iraq. His name was Jonathan Webb. 
and we organised to bring all of our people from outside by bus into the green zone. And he, as head of security, was literally the only person who could bring in any number of people. So we set up church in the Prime Minister's office, and every Saturday we had church in the Shiite Prime Minister's office. And that was a wonderful, another wonderful sign of the glory of God. It's very good having um, a prime minister's office as your church. Maybe we should pray that we can get church in Downing Street. Come on, Lord, we need it. Then what happened was really sad. ISIS came in and they got hold of the Christians' Bibles and they destroyed all their Bibles. They burnt them. They had nothing. I spent a lot of time in Jerusalem and I was in Christchurch, Jaffa Gate one day and I was praying, Lord, what are we going to do? All our Bibles have gone. And a man from Belfast was there. And he said, don't worry, I'll give you some new ones. And he gave me, he gave me new little Bibles. They were literally just um, solar powered. So we didn't need batteries. And what these Bibles did was actually spoke the whole of the Bible. And our people didn't speak English. They spoke Arabic. So they got them made in Arabic. So all of our people had Bibles in Arabic. Isn't that amazing? Amazing what God can do. Isn't that good? We've got lots of good things that God has given us. He's given us these incredible Bibles. Oh dear, that's my pen falling. But he's also given us these, for our school, we got, somebody gave us these super-duper pens. So they light up. Who'd like a pen? <laughs> Come on, first one. Who would like a Bible? You've got to answer a question for this. <laughs> right. I 
I'm based in Iraq, or I used to be. I'm now mainly in Israel and Jordan. But who was the first saint to declare that Jesus was his Lord and his God? And he went from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon and then India. Who said it first? Somebody here. Come on, get your Bible. Solar-powered Bible with earphones. Arabic and English. But that was a wonderful sign of God turning things around. And all of us must know that in our lives, in our church, in the Jubilee, God wants to change. The other thing which is really special to us I said to one of my boys at the school once, what's the most important thing I can get for you? I'd given him um, food and got him everything he needed. And he said, I want two things. I want a school, and that's when we got his school, and I want a cross. And this cross is made by a good friend of mine from Bethlehem called Joseph. And he's a carpenter. Would you like this? So it's another sign of what God could do. And all the children have that cross at school and wear a cross round their neck made of wood. And the other thing which they all have, do you remember that when ISIS came in to Iraq, they found all the Christian homes and all the Christian places like churches and they put the Arabic letter on, Nun. And that meant Nazarene. You can kill these people because they're Nazarene. Things have changed over the years. And at our school graduation last year, the children were asked what they wanted as their sign of victory, of what they had achieved. 
And they said they wanted a badge with the nun sign on it. That sign, which was about destruction, had become their sign of what Jesus had done for them. He had given them a school, safety, education, and a future. That which a devil had chosen as a sign of destruction has become a sign of victory. All of you have experienced times when you have experienced destruction and things have seemed terrible. God says, no, this is your victory. You know, people have said to me, how is it you're doing all this work around the world and you've got MS and you're in a wheelchair? And I say to them, this is a sign of victory. And God is going to heal me and restore me. And we mustn't just look at what is bad and see it as a sign of destitution and a sign that the evil one has won. He has not. The victory is our Lord's. And that is what is wonderful. Yes, look at dear Esther. She could have thought everything was finished. She was there in Persia. And Persia then was even worse than Iran today. But no, God says, you have got the victory. You have got the power of the kingdom. The entire mandate of the kingdom is spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And he says in Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3, I love the book of Isaiah, don't you? Isn't it encouraging? Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garments of praise instead of a spirit of despair. God has done everything. God has achieved everything for us, for you. He is the restorer that brings about change. Look at the um, look at Psalm 107. We read. The wilderness has been turned into a pool of water and dry land 
into springs of water. The story of my life is a story of where the distraught has become the wonderful, where that which isn't possible has become the power of God. Me, who never thought that I would do anything apart from put people to sleep for operations and raise the dead, now is involved in spiritually raising the dead. I had a very interesting history. A history which was two different types of history. There was one side of my family, or my wife's family, which was very rich and significant. They were the ones who were the Chamberlains around Birmingham. And the other side of my family, my mother's side, her father was a plumber. And he worked with another plumber called Smith Wigglesworth. And I have his actual Bible here, don't I? Can I see it? If you buy one of my books after the service, I've got various books. But if you buy one, you can have a look at Smith Bigglesworth's Bible. All of his notes are in there. His picture is in there. And it's really falling to pieces. But this was one of the greatest servants of the kingdom. This was somebody who kicked literally kick the Holy Spirit into people. Thank you. And he achieved great things. Just this week, the same day I was with General Porter, I was with Smith Wigglesworth's great-great-grandson having lunch together talking about our grandfathers, our great-grandfathers, how they worked together, how they saw dramatic reversal, how they saw the kingdom of God bring against around great change. And each of you is called to be a servant of God, to bring about great, great change. And every one of us has got a different thing that God is calling us to do. And I want us just to stop for one minute and talk to God about what he's calling you to do and for us to commit to do it. Let us pray.
Lord, I thank you for how you have called each of us to divine reversal for your name's sake. I pray that each of us will be a great beacon of light for your kingdom. I pray for Jubilee Church that it may be a great beacon of light for your kingdom, not just locally, but internationally. Thank you, Lord, that this is a place of your kingdom, a house of your worship, a place which is going to see great things coming from it and going to others. Blessings upon this house, anointing upon this house, glory upon this house, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.